from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. It says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Well, welcome to Truths from the Text. My name is Aaron Ventura, and I'm joined by uh, my co-host, Ryan Hurd. In this inaugural episode, we're going to uh, hopefully begin a discussion around the relationship between uh, theology and Bible reading, and more uh, specifically, what role kind of scholastic or systematic theology plays in helping us really read and understand uh, the truths from the text of Holy Scripture. Uh, But before we get into that, a discussion. We should each give just kind of a formal introduction for those who do not know us. So, uh, Ryan, why don't you start just by introducing yourself? Who are you and uh, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with empty shelves is the real Thanks, question. <laughs> empty shelves. Well, my mother just gave me these shelves, so I'm very thankful. I've got to put all my books up, transfer my library out of their basement into uh, our home. Uh, my name is Ryan and uh, I study theology. I'm a professor of theology at the Davenant Institute. Uh, I have a wife. Uh, We're five months and two or three days married. Hopefully uh, I'm pretty accurate with that. Uh, Named Brittany, which I'm very thankful for. And we live in the Mitten or the uh, Jerusalem of America, if we're allowed to say that, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, yeah, so I teach theology. I'm finishing my dissertation at the University of Koppen in the Netherlands. It's dealing with some more technical issues on the mercy of God, and I write theology um, on the side, I suppose. Ryan, uh, if someone wanted to find your stuff, some of your previous work, where could they do that? Uh, At the moment, a lot of it is uh, just in general uh, blog posts here or there or podcasts that I tend to appear on. Uh, most of it, though, is connected with the Davenant Institute. So I teach classes there, mostly dealing with systematic theology or doctrine of God stuff, and uh, particularly Thomas Aquinas, more scholastically inspired theology. So you can find a lot of my work there. Um, they also have a, a course that I'm finishing up uh, that'll be semi-publicly available uh, for folks to take on uh, Introduction to Theology Proper. So folks can find my work there, but just generally speaking online is uh, through the Davenant Institute is where you okay. find my work. So if they Google Ryan Hurd, uh, it's not going to pull up, you know, some professional athlete. It will, it will pull up you, the, the theologian. It, it, it pulls up a, uh, a country singer named Ryan Hurd, who is okay. not me. Sadly. <laughs> to, yes. to everyone's disappointment. Or okay. To some people's disappointment, right? Yes. Very good. And uh, could you just talk a little bit about, uh, this uh, course that is forthcoming from Davenant um, and what you're trying, you know, who you are hoping that serves and what um, what is the contents of it generally? Yeah, so I picture the course as something of an on-ramp to the courses I teach. Um, folks who take my courses find that we're all of a sudden jumped into the way, way deep end of technical theology, particularly inspired by Thomas. And as I often tell my students, technical or scholastic theology is good for what it's good for, and it's not good for what it's not good for. 
this course tries to give you some of the prereqs for taking the more technical courses and gets you going from zero to 60 in about 20, 25 hours to understand particularly the categories of thought that are always going to be running when we handle doctrine of God issues and also are the, the, the tried and true categories of thought um, that help us to read Holy Scripture in, uh, a, in, in an easier fashion and derive its uh, true interpretations. So the course is intended for primarily like a seminary student or an educated elder or something of that sort who's really motivated to study theology, um, recognizes that there are values to scholastic theology, and um, those <laughs> values are somewhat inaccessible uh, if you don't have a lot of the, the prereq knowledge. So I picture the course as what I would have told myself and I would have loved to know five, ten years ago, uh, mm. but is not available in, in common knowledge. And it's very hard to gain from actually like reading Thomas Aquinas or um, even reading a lot of the, the very good secondary uh, sources on, on Thomas or technical theology more broadly. Um, material in the course is talking about what negative names are in depth, what positive names are, the various kinds of positive names and and so on and so forth. And just really gets into the weeds that people have real grounding uh, and then can continue on in more of the specifics. uh, And then also, again, read Holy Scripture well. Ryan, could you just give us a brief overview of your own kind of theological journey? You know, when did you first start seriously studying theology um, with some kind of um, intention beyond just, I'm a Christian and I, I just want to know God. When did that become a real vocational pursuit or calling that you sensed? Yeah. Um, I got a lot of training early on my very early twenties in like the reformed Orthodox kind of had the Richard Muller bug and really appreciated some of the precision, some of the clarity, some of the practical uh, application of theology that the Reformed Orthodox brought to the fore of the Protestant tradition, particularly after the early reformers like Calvin or Luther. So Calvin and Luther just always have good theology. Again, Doctrine of God specifically is my focus. Um, in terms of gestures, they're always gesturing to the right thing. But sometimes today we suffer because we don't have those precise underpinnings that underlie our gestures. And therefore, sometimes we make the wrong gestures or we we're slightly off in the direction. And so I found initially the reformed scholastics were really, really helpful for um, precisioning exactly the things that we needed to in doctrine of God. And during that time as well, there was a lot of controversy. I suppose there still is um, in the broader Protestant evangelicalism or the broader um, kind of reformed world over doctrine of God issues, particularly as they interface with the text of Holy Scripture. There's a lot of wars over what's called classical theism today uh, and a lot of opposition that strong, hardcore classical theists would have to more biblicist uh, oriented guys. And, and usually these are both pejorative terms in, in the other party's mouth. It's like, oh, boy, if you're a biblicist, you think being a classical theist is bad. If you're a classical theist, you probably think reading the Bible is bad. 
you know, these types <laughs> of things. My upbringing was very thankfully a uh, fundamental Baptist and uh, had a high regard for the text of Holy Scripture, the authority of the Word of God, and the centrality of it, kind of these basic heartbeats of, um, you know, my upbringing uh, were very much instilled in myself uh, and have always uh, been there. And so my passion during a lot of those early years was trying to work out who was right, how were they right, where were they wrong, what were the elements on both sides of the table that were needing to be combined uh, to, to have a more synthetic and perhaps sympathetic uh, reading and doing of theology towards both sides and their good instincts and their good insights. And during that time, I also got uh, much more involved in reading the medieval scholastics. So one thing you do quickly discover about the Reformed Orthodox is that they will very quickly uh, tap out and say that they're tapping out on some technical discussion of doctrine of God and just say, look, this is basically what it is, but if you want to know exactly how it is, go study the high medievals, and especially go study someone like Thomas, who on doctrine of God is really, really, really solid. And so under their inspiration, that's kind of what I did and uh, continued to pursue that line and found that there was an initial really, really sharp learning curve and even some frightening things, perhaps, that you encounter in Thomas's Doctrine of God early on. And it doesn't feel for a long time like this is good or valuable or is going to work out. But eventually, you kind of get over that hump and you see that the hyper-technical scholastic theology is, as I like to tell folks, just basically grandma theology, but a little bit more precise. So it's super vanilla. It's super square uh, as far as orthodoxy goes, and it just intensifies all of your basic instincts of any normal person, which I include myself in that category, who values the word of God, is well-trained in you know, the language of scripture, the things that scripture emphasizes and makes us to say about God. It just dials those things up a little bit more with a little bit higher resolution of clarity and that's about it. And for me, those gains in being able to say what Holy Scripture says just a little bit more precisely and intensely were really valuable. And so I've concentrated in my career so far, my work so far, at, at acquiring those gains and then, uh, God willing, uh, helping to bequeath those gains in others. Um, so, yeah, that would be a little bit of a, a thumbnail sketch. Thanks. One last thing, on just in terms of your work and your, your PhD, do you have any writing projects that are in the queue? Um, and if so, how far out could someone expect to be able to go on Amazon and buy a, a, a book with your name on it? <laughs> um, I've got a lot of writing projects in the queue that are um, slouching along. Theology is hard and technical theology is very hard. And so a number of those projects are still a ways out. I'm hoping that in a year or two, uh, a, a number of volumes will start to drop my dissertation. So again, on the mercy of God, 
Um, it's the technical way of saying God is very, very merciful instead of only saying he's very merciful. That's how I like to pitch it to Is people. that going to be the title of your and then, thesis? Um, yes, two, two varies, uh, <laughs> you know, how to, how, to, how to say God is very, very merciful. Um, so that'll eventually come out, Lord willing. And then my, my uh, primary work, I think, at the moment is uh, kind of the foundation for this course. I'm just uh, finishing up with Davenant uh, on uh, Introduction to Theology Proper that kind of gets you from A to Z, everything that you need to know about scholastic theology and its categories and kind of its logic and rationale. And my hope is that that will be something of a handbook. I, I'm thinking of titling it something like introductory essays as a subtitle. It's trying to be a coherent, uh, you know, progression of chapters, mm-hmm. but it, it's not intending to be like a solid <laughs> volume. It's more a collection of essays that hopefully gets, gets everything that you need to. But it's really concerned to give the underlying logic and the rationale for these technical scholastic tools in doctrine of God, uh, what they are, what they do, um, why is that good, what they're not good for, and so on. And and so that's what I hope to see out within the next year or two. Okay. Very good. Well, I'll introduce myself for those who don't know. My name is Aaron Ventura. I'm married to my wife, Ellen. We have two boys and another child on the way. I'll be finding out the gender hopefully in a few weeks. <clears throat> at current currently i'm praying for a girl but you know the lord will do what he wills and uh, uh i'm a pastor over in centralia washington i am a washington native so i grew up in silverdale washington went to university of washington in seattle uh, spent some time in florida planting a church and that was back in the days with uh, acts 29 i was at uh there was a, a church called mars hill that i attended for a time and uh after uh, some time in Florida, I moved to Moscow, Idaho, where I was um, wanting to really study Greek and Hebrew and theology and also just be in a kind of healthy church environment. And I did not know anything about Moscow, didn't know a single person in Moscow. But uh, my choice between uh, going into debt at, at a Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando or this all paid for uh, small pastoral training program, it, it became obvious to me which route I should take. Uh, so uh, best decision I ever made, mainly because I eventually met my wife and got married. And as you are experiencing, Ryan, that mm. is the real, <laughs> the real blessing, right? Yes. Um, so uh, I was in Moscow for, I think, six or seven years. I uh, finished my studies there. And then I was hired by Christchurch, so um, I, I had Doug Wilson as my uh, pastor and mentor and a bunch of other very smart people from uh, New St. Andrews College that I was learning from. Uh, so as a, uh, I grew up charis- very charismatic Pentecostal Christian from a little kid, you know, praying in, in tongues at, you know, six years old or whatever I was doing. Um, so I, I always had a kind of love for God's uh, word, wanting to understand who he is, um, you know, asking questions about uh, scripture from a very young age and just searching, searching for uh, answers. And then uh, kind of similar 
to you, Ryan, just uh, finding some of those answers in uh, the the Reformed um, Orthodox, but also feeling like um, some things are still a little fuzzy to me and I desire more clarity. And um, so I think it was probably, maybe it was three years ago, I'd, I'd have to go and look. When I think I first started, take I think I took one of your courses on the Trinity, which was with, I think, your now wife at the time. I think uh, she was in that class. And um, I started realizing the Trinity is like uh, what makes you a Christian, that you believe in the Trinity. And also, uh, I really do not understand almost anything about who God is as Trinity. And I've read Institutes, I've read Turretin, I've read a lot of uh, systematic theology. It's not for not having read, but the gap between really understanding uh, God and who he is, I still felt like I was blanking when I kind of was thinking about what does it mean that God is Trinity? or some of the other attributes of what we call attributes of God. And so it was in taking your class, reading your uh, almost impossible to read notes, <laughs> um, but finding there is, there is, there is a, uh, there is a lot of wisdom behind uh, uh, these notes that I'm, tr- I'm struggling to read. And I realized I'm trying to read scholastic theology. I'm trying to read Ryan Hurd, who's a scholastic, and I do not understand half of these words that he is saying. So, um, but that I, I knew that there was a real, um, there were real gains to be had if I pursued this line, and especially as a pastor, um, I knew that this is my job. Um, I've given my whole life to this work. And whether I'm a pastor or not, what I do care about is knowing God. <laughs> and that um, is really the, the driver and motivator for doing things that are indeed very technical. Sometimes the payoff's not so great, but um, just the exercise of like, you know, why do you go to the gym and, and do, you know, hop on the, the machine and do legs or lift weights or whatever uh, in, a, in a very similar way that is has been my experience of doing theology. It is the exercise of the mind to develop certain habits that actually do shape your spirituality, your prayer life, your worship, um, so many other things of who you are. And so as a pastor, I'm always very interested in looking for what is the cash out? What is the final cause? What is the practical application, so to speak. That's, you know, the preacher in me. I'm always looking for what that is. Um, so I, I have a um, maybe a different uh, purpose at times when I approach uh, reading Thomas or reading theology. I'm often thinking, how can I translate this to my people? <laughs> or a lot of times it's like, how do I translate this to myself? Because <laughs> I, I don't understand uh, a lot of what I read still. Uh, and that's where... Uh, I found Ryan very helpful. And, and then over the years, I've taken every, I think almost every single class I've audited. Um, I usually can never be there at Saturdays yeah. at 7 a.m. or whatever. But, um, you know, so I've, I, I've listened to uh, many, many hours of Ryan's voice. And um, it's been a very... notes have not gotten better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the notes are still admittedly difficult. I can understand them a little bit more now. Um, and so 
uh, we had this opportunity to do this project uh, together. And so I really jumped at the opportunity because I do think, um, especially in my world of, um, you know, Protestant reformed uh, evangelicals broadly, right? So my church is in the communion of reformed evangelicals. Um, there is one of the things, one of the virtues of kind of my tribe is that there is a great um, esteem for Holy Scripture as um, mm. supreme, as giving us real truth, as something that is worth totally nerding out on. Like, um, you know, we really should read First and Second Chronicles and understand what <laughs> what is going on there. Uh, so there's this just yeah. dogged love for the Word and wanting to understand it. And one of having, so having had a very biblicist, uh, background. So I have, you know, I, I've listened to, uh, many, 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 many hours of Jim Jordan lectures. So I have a a little Jim Jordan in my head for those who don't know. He wrote a book called Through New Eyes and he's somewhat of a, a provocative, um, character in Reformedom, but he is a very entertaining lecturer. So like, you listen to him, you're not going to be disappointed. It will be entertaining. Uh, you might not agree with everything he says or even half of what he says, but it will be entertaining. Uh, so uh, having that very biblicist way of reading the text and then engaging scholastic theology was really uh, kind of two streams that come that have come together in me. And I have found kind of the synthesis of those two, you know, taking, I think, the best of each um, is what I hope and am trying to do. And that is a little bit what I'm hoping to equip my own people with. Um, and perhaps we'll see how that uh, comes out in this project. So that's a very long-winded way of uh, introducing myself. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about other things uh, in the future. Uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll pause there. Any, co- any comments or just questions right there? Well, it's just interesting that you talk about having both those impulses come together. And I I would, I would express similar sentiments. Um, But finding that the scholastics and especially Thomas for me, uh, underlying all of the Aristotelian language or the very technical, precise Latin that sometimes bleeds over in guys like myself and makes for weird talking. Um, underlying that is really the best of both those worlds. And I have always been firmly convinced that both sides are probably mostly right on a lot of these kinds of debates. And both sides have non-negotiable insights that have to be um, accepted and merely intensified. And I've just found Thomas to be at the bottom of all these streams and embody really, really well, uh, and also equip the satisfaction of both cons- both sets of concerns. Hmm. And uh, I've just found that to be true constantly for now a number of years, and I'm very thankful for that. And I'm thankful to hear it's you have a similar similar kind of testimony. Yeah, I, I think what you just said is very uh, true. I've had a similar experience where, um, so I'm I'm preaching through Mark's Gospel. So I consult, you know, eight different commentaries that are going to 
span the gamut of both time and history and, and approaches. Mm-hmm. And I find, like you said, there are certain things that Thomas is very good at. And I'm, I'm regularly surprised that, um, he just condenses everything in like its smallest, most reduced form, at least in the, in the Matthew commentary, which I'm consulting as I'm reading Mark granted, it's probably just notes. Um, so it's, it's condensed. Um, but I, it's impressive to me that he has just reduced a lot of the interpretations or even just interpretive options. And he'll just give you, Hey, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. And I look at the other commentaries and I see they're giving the more expanded version of this one interpretation over here. And so that's where I felt kind of like his, especially his biblical commentaries are kind of like a little cheat code to just give you, I mean, they're pretty short. You can read them pretty quickly. And so some people read them and they're a little disappointed because they're expecting like, give me the uh, ancient Near Eastern context or something like that, which he's, he's just not maybe interested as much in that. Um, though at times, he, you know, he, he has pretty decent, reliable historical assessments. I, I am impressed at times. So um, I have found that when I compare like a Jim Jordan or, or a Peter Lightheart and their commentaries, which are doing all sorts of kind of interesting, imaginative, typological stuff, and I find them very interesting. And then I read Thomas. I, I don't find very often that they're totally at odds. I find that they're kind of saying the same thing in different ways. And then um, where I think Thomas might have the leg up or does have the leg up is that um, he has the whole Bible in his head. And so he just thinks more like a mm. theologian um, where I find a lot of, especially like there's new Testament guys, there's old Testament guys when you get to like commentators and I'm like, Hmm, it seems like maybe you're ignoring these really clear things over here in the old Testament. And then you pick up Aquinas and he's like, you know, quoting a random verse in Job that you have no idea. like what is But he's just, he's quoting Job and middle chapters of Isaiah and they're, those are just the kind of texts that a lot of scholars don't even think might be connected because they haven't really internalized all of scripture. And that's where I found Thomas to be kind yeah. of a cheat code to get you just, just look up the cross references that he is giving you. And that is what scratches the biblicist impulse in me is I see him just pulling a text over here and I go, Oh, I go look it up and I think, wow, that's actually a very profound insight to take that truth from that text and tie it to this one. Um, admittedly, there are many times where I'm like, I don't understand how those two connect. Uh, but I, I trust that he, there is some connection. I'm just probably not smart enough to see it yet. Yeah. I, the commentaries are, are my favorite as well. Um, for that reason, you just mentioned there, they can be somewhat difficult to read because most of them are um, condensed notes that a secretary wrote and so Thomas has basically given you the outline version of um, his his lectures, essentially. And so sometimes the connection between like proof texts or, uh, you know, why is this follow that isn't as intelligible and takes a little bit of work and training to read. But yeah, I constantly find whenever he's whatever he says at least has some very deep uh, plausible, if I can use that word, connection or plausible logic as to why he's saying what he's saying. And very frequently it's like, oh, that's obviously the case. Once I finally figure out well, what he's trying to s- see, what, what is, what is he connecting here? Um, yeah. yeah. 
Great. Well, I want to just talk very briefly about just kind of the purpose of this project. We've already kind of alluded to it in one way or another, but, you know, as good uh, Aristotelians, we speak in terms of final causes. So, uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll ask you first, in your, in your mind, for you, uh, what is the, the final cause or purpose for this project that we're calling Truths from the Text? From my perspective, um, I am concerned to give uh, principles for interpreting Holy Scripture. And a lot of scholastic theology is about finding uh, what are these universal truths that we then prove to be true or demonstrate to be true as such, so that we can then turn around with kind of the the, the supreme answer key uh, a little bit, speaking those types of terms, uh, in the back of our minds, and then actually engage in the difficult work of reading Holy Scripture by comparing it to what the set of things we know are true or the set of things we know are false, and therefore easing the actual interpretive process by, you know, it, the text can't mean that, uh, it could mean this set of things, and then watching the grammar and the syntax and conventional signs, um, all the stuff that more biblicist-inclined in, uh, guys are, are really concerned to do justice with, watching those more syntactical or grammatical elements guide us towards the actual truth that is found in this text. So for me, scholastic and especially Thomas theology is kind of about habituating your mind to have the things that are definitely false about God, such as God doesn't have a body. And therefore, when you read Holy Scripture, which presents him under bodily images, you're just not inclined towards going down the wrong path of interpreting because you know, and you know so clearly as a, at a principial or habitual level, like anything you think down the lines of God actually having a body is just not true because Holy Scripture always returns the true from its letters. We therefore can just shut down that line of thought and try and allow the text and encounter with the text to, 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 to say actually what positively it means. I do find a lot of scholastic theology, um, as, as people begin to encounter it, begin to, to uh, understand it and then use it, operates in the negative key in flagging what's not the case or what, what can't be the case because it's false. And then again, that underlying premise, Holy Scripture always says what is true. And therefore, because this is false, it's, it can't be what Scripture means. So it's, a, it's a, a negative principle of interpreting that shuts down, um, you know, bad paths of thought and then actually allows you to um, roll up your sleeves and, and pursue the, the difficult lines of uh, actually inquiring the text. So from my perspective, it's, it's discovering those principles of interpreting both negative and positive, maybe maybe primarily negative. Um, having positive principles in hand is a little bit tricky, especially from the outside, because it looks like you have or feels like you have this kind of super structure that you've already decided this is what the text is going to mean uh, outside and um, irrespective of what the actual text is saying. And so it can feel a bit funny to people and uh, so positive principles of interpretation are a little bit more tricky. So we don't uh, allow the, 
the tail to wag the dog, so to speak, but we actually allow Holy Scripture to guide our theology. We, we won't always want to do that. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I would uh, reduce down the, the the project's final cause or purpose. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote I wrote a sentence for myself to to help me get this mm. real strong in my mind for kind of what is the purpose from my perspective, and I said um, it's to give people the tools to become better readers of scripture by making them better theologians. And uh, I think of what Jesus says, um, the one who has will be given more. And to the one uh, who doesn't have, even what he does have will be taken from him. So this is this kind of enigmatic statement Jesus says in one of his parables. Um, And this applies very much so to reading scripture, where if you come to scripture with a corrupt heart, you can't help but corrupt its meaning. And, you know, Paul will rail against those kinds of people. And you find if you come to scripture with um, rock solid, the Apostles Creed being true or the Mm -hmm. Nicene Creed being true, well, that's good. That actually is... Uh, your kind of cheat code, so to speak, so that when you read certain things about Mm. Jesus, you're remembering, like, this is a divine person walking around and doing these things. So, um, to what you just Mm. said, as soon as you start reading, especially very many strange things in the Old Testament, uh, you know, the Mm. elders go up on Sinai, and it says they saw God, and then you're like, wait, you Mm. know, I tell my son that God is invisible, um, so what does it mean that they saw God or, uh, you know, book of Jonah, God repents. Uh, he, God is said to do many things in Holy scripture and we need to understand the way in which that is true and the way in which it's, it's not true. And that's where I think, um, what you just said, having some of those principles, if you know theology, if you even just know the Nicene Creed and Apostles Creed really well, um, that can help you return the the truth from Scripture rather than um, something that is false. So that's kind of my way of saying, I think, what yeah. you just said. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, um, next time, since uh, we went so long rambling on about this, next time we are going to um, hopefully translate some of the things you might have heard in this episode about scholastic theology. Next time I'm going to ask Ryan, what is theology? What is scholastic theology? Uh, What is systematic theology? Uh, I expect that if you listen to this episode, you made it to the end. There were probably a lot of words that both Ryan and I said, but probably more so Ryan, uh, that uh, is just jargon uh, that you don't know what Mm. that means. So we're going to try to um, translate and define some of the jargon that is now it's kind of common speech for for you and I. um, And we want you to start to become a little more familiar with that. So that's what we're going to try to do in some of these next episodes. And if there are specific jargony things or phrases that you heard uh, Ryan or I say, uh, uh, let me know, let us know, and we'll try to address those in a future episode. Ryan, any final comments before we uh, sign off? No, I'm just excited to, to get continue.
Great. All right. Well, until next time, uh, keep on reading.